What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? This is your co-host, Ridge. Uh, I'm back on the mic. Yeah, co-host Chiss here coming in from the Detroit area. Um, really excited to be diving in. I, I, I was saying to Jack, I think this is our latest we've ever started a episode uh, during the week. So obviously it shows our dedication here. We were dying to get into it after a really good weekend of footy and just kind of had to had to get this episode in a little bit earlier this week. But uh, Ridge, how was your past weekend? You get up to anything special? Yeah, obviously Crystal Palace and Aston Villa took six points of a possible six, so um, it was amazing. I, you know, I treated myself, went to the beach, uh, got out and golfed. Um, I've rewatched the Villa game twice now, um, just full replays. Uh, I took a bath actually, like two days ago, and just put the computer next to my bath and just like watched the whole replay and sat in, in a bath. I, had, I probably haven't had a bath in maybe like fifteen years. Um, so yeah, definitely treated myself. Little spa day watching Villa. Yeah, interesting move with the bath there. Uh, wouldn't have <laughs> expected that. I uh, I was lucky this weekend on Friday. I got to go watch the Villa match at the Detroit City Clubhouse. Uh, shout out to your mom and your sister Jane and Marth. I watched with them, as well as the rest of my family. So that was awesome to see a two 0 win. And then Saturday, helped move my little brother into his apartment at college. So I watched a lot. From my phone, that's where I watched the Palace match, uh, which was really exciting as well in the U-Haul there. And then Sunday, rolled out of bed, really hungover, got to watch a couple more matches as well. So all in all, uh, it was an awesome weekend of football, uh, some really exciting matches to watch. And then, you know, our two clubs doing well, nothing really better than seeing that happen. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. Uh, anything you want to start off with here? Um, yeah, I think like... You know, looking at the week past weekend action, it was very, very. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. Very, very dominant. Like very, very dominated by some of the some of the away teams. Um, you know, I think we were looking at seven of ten matches were won by the away side this weekend. Do you feel like that's? You know, does that is that kind of an anomaly? Do you feel like that's like indicative of the Premier League as a whole? Because I do have some thoughts on that. Yeah, so the only two home teams that won this week were Aston Villa and Liverpool. Uh, and then there was one draw and seven teams that won away, and a lot of goals as well. So I don't know. I, I think the thing is, when you think about um, something like that, it might have just been a coincidence. Oh, maybe some of the better clubs are playing away this week, uh, something along those lines. But that didn't really seem to be the case. And there were a couple of really big upsets as well uh, when it comes down to it. So. I think uh, I was pretty surprised. Maybe it's just clubs not being settled in, or, or I'm not sure exactly what it was, but uh, you know, a few really surprising results from some away teams that we didn't expect. So do you think that has anything to do with it being early going in the season, or any, any reason in particular why it might have happened? Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, I think early on, one thing that I don't think we're going to see this season is you know, like a, a Blackpool or a Derby or a team to go and get like 11 points, like full, the, the bottom, bottom part of the Premier League table last season, where there's some really, really bad teams. Um, but the interesting thing is, is the teams now, which are, you know, bad or the newly promoted teams all play very free flowing, attacking brands of football. Like think about the three promoted teams. You have Norwich, Sheffield United and Villa. Any one of those teams can go and 
you know, turn up and score three goals uh, against you. So you don't have, I mean, really, like I would say the most conservative brand of football in the league is probably at Newcastle. Um, and they found a way to win 1-0 over Spurs this weekend. So um, I think, like, you just don't have, like, the teams who are going to set up shop and, like, button down the hatches because a lot of these managers that used to run teams like that don't exist, exist anymore, right? Sam Allardyce isn't in the Premier League. Tony Pulis isn't in the Premier League. Um Again, I would say the most conservative manager from a tactical standpoint is Steve Bruce. And, you know, you look at even, you know, look at some of these other teams, right? Like you look over at Chris Wilder at Sheffield United, who plays with like attacking outside center backs who make, you know, runs deep into the final third of the pitch. Like it's interesting. And I think what that creates is a little bit more of a non traditional away game where teams will come come away from home and want to play football, want to put the ball on the deck and want to score goals as opposed to, you know, maybe 20 years, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even further back in history, like teams would go away, put five defenders in the back and try to not concede and get out of there with a point. Um, and teams are just a little bit more, I don't know, for, uh, forward thinking literally and uh, figuratively. I think that's actually a really good observation. I didn't totally think about that beforehand. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of teams that generally like in the traditional sense – you think when you're away, you play for a point. That's kind of how it always had been, uh, especially if you weren't, you know, the the obvious uh, favorite going into a game. I think um, it doesn't really apply this week, but you look at like a team like Norwich who have come up and gotten promoted. Uh, week one, they played against Liverpool, and they didn't sit back. They went out and tried to score goals. And, and this week, they played against Chelsea, and they lost both those matches. But you watch them play, and they're really going out and attacking, looking to get out in front and score goals. And I think that makes for a lot more uh, exciting of a game. It's something that you get in the Premier League that you probably don't get in a lot of other leagues. Um, but I agree with you. There's not a lot of teams that are, you know, kind of like Jose Mourinho, parking the bus style, sitting back. Um, and those ones that are really, really looking to take advantage of counters and still try to put some goals up on the board. So uh, overall, I mean, it's making for some really exciting matches. I think each week we've seen at least one or two matches that have been you know, like even like one-one draws or something that have been really, really fun to watch. So overall, I think it's it's really good for the Premier League and it's it's really exciting. But yeah, I mean, storyline of the weekend, uh, the way teams dominating and kind of getting into that too. The two biggest results by far and, and the most shocking ones came uh, with the Waysides, and that was Newcastle beating Spurs and Palace beating United. So uh, I guess to start, do you want to talk a little bit about the Palace match? Yeah, so, I mean, my take on the Palace match, I've, I've watched that one now back. Um, no bath involved in that one, but I've watched that one back uh, as well since the weekend because that was a, just a brilliant win. It's kind of funny. We were, we were talking with some of our buddies. We are like, texting during the game because, obviously, you know, my phone's blowing up during the game, and every time, you know, every time – Van Aanholt gets burned on the left back. I'm, I should have texted out about how I hate Van Aanholt and I'm frustrated with him. Um, and it's watching that game and, and even thinking about the conservative teams, Crystal Palace probably are one of the most conservative teams in the league for sure. And, you know, they the first goal is just kind of like one of those against the run of play, long ball they won. Um, Jeff Schlupp flicks it on to IU. IU scores his third goal in the last 16 months, I think. Um, and then they get like, and then they concede, and then David De Gea lets a kind of a squirmer in from Van Aanholt. Um, maybe not a squirmer, but like probably it was should right have been saved. Should yeah, have been saved. Should have been saved at the end of the game. And so, um, I don't know. I think like 
Crystal Palace will de- they defend with it? I mean, they defended really well. Gary Cahill looked really good in his first uh, in his day de- in his you know full debut, um, and you know when. The, the Crystal Palace is the t- type of team they did really well uh, away last season, and now they've beaten. They're the only team, I believe, in the last. Is it? I think this calendar year to have beaten all the top four sides. Well, or maybe in the last season and a half. Um, I don't think they have a win against Spurs, but they were the last team to beat uh, or to win at the Etihad, Old Trafford, the Emirates, and Anfield. So, right. you know, both Manchester not. teams, Liverpool and Arsenal, they're the most recent team to win away at all those grounds. Yeah, that's crazy. And, like, that's not luck, right? There's definitely definite tactical design the way Roy Hodgson has his defensive unit setting up. And, um, you know, and they have decent players going forward on the counter. Wolf could have had a goal um, against United. And it is Crystal Palace's first win at Old Trafford ever in all, of all time. Um and, and quite frankly, three points Crystal Palace des- desperately needed. So I was elated at the performance. Um, I thought it was a brave performance. I think there's still a long way to go for Crystal Palace um, this season. And, you know, I, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not that result was an outlier. But hopefully, you know, as Wolf starts to get back into form and hopefully, I mean, maybe Jordan I is the answer at center forward. Who knows? Um, and, you know, hopefully Joel Ward... Uh, I don't know, gets on the treadmill and can pick up a little bit of pace over the next few weeks because he looked out, you know, absolutely out of sorts. But somehow they found a way to win. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things that I thought about was, well, I actually mentioned this last week when we were talking about this this match in the predictor, but um, I had mentioned that Palace play well away. They always have, uh, and they're solid defensively. And you watch this match, and I don't think anyone in the right mind would say that if you watch that entire match that Palace was the better of two sides. They're clearly not as talented. They, you know, didn't possess the ball as well. They were a little bit sloppier with the ball on their feet. But ultimately, they're extremely organized defensively, and they're really, really hard to break down, and they're hard to break down the road. And they're a team that's built for the counter uh, with, a te- with a player like Wilfred Zaha. He's just so perfect for the counter, you know what I mean? Um, and it's funny, you think uh, a goal like the, the one they scored that IU had, it was a long ball forward from Gaita. Uh, it was a one-headed ball from Schlupp. That's something that Christian Benteke should be doing. You know what I mean? They, they should be having him make those little flicks off goal kicks and having Will for Townsend or someone run on. But they, they had a, made a few different changes here. One was Jordan Ayew, one was Jeff Schlupp. And those guys just had – it was two touches, and that's a goal. And, and ultimately, United, uh, they just slipped up twice defensively, and that was it. That was the difference. So – um, you know, you kind of can't take those matches from granted, for granted if you're a team like United or, or City or someone like that playing at home. Um, these are all matches that, that are in danger. Now, before we get into the Liverpool and Spurs match, I don't want to harp on it too much, but um, the, I think the biggest thing, again, coming out of this is something we, we talked about a lot last week, and uh, it was uh, the penalty. Uh, McTominay drew a penalty, and Rashford took it, which I think we kind of expected. He took it like he always does with a lot of power off the inside of the post, and it didn't go in. So uh, is that a problem at United right now? Do you think that when they come back next week, if they draw another penalty, does Rashford take it again? Does Pogba take it? Does Martial take it? I mean, it's kind of getting to the point where it's being talked about so much that maybe it is an issue. What do you think about that? I think it's tough. I think uh, I... I don't know. I, I think I, I still keep Rashford on penalties. I think he he. I mean, that's you know a centimeter to the right. It's off the post and it's a perfect penalty. So uh, I'm not. I don't know. I'm, I'm not one to overbuy into the United 
uh, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm not reading too much into the penalty issue. Like, I guess they have a couple takers, and they've missed two early on. And, of course, they're high pro- it's a high-profile Manchester United thing. But, I mean, they're drawing penalties. They're getting into the box, getting to dangerous areas. Daniel James looked pretty good. Um, I thought McTominay Im- impressed in that game. So, I don't know. I'm not going to read too much into it, the whole penalty debacle. But I mean, the thing is, you don't want to read too much into it. But at the same time... It's cost them a lot of points. It cost them two points against Wolves. They they got a draw. They would have won. And in this match, it probably cost them three points because if Rashford makes that penalty, I think United probably end up getting all three points in that match. So, you know, at, at this point in the season, it's early, but this this is a huge, huge issue that they got to get sorted out. I do think that Rashford is a good penalty taker, and I, I think he should probably be given the trust. But it's just been such a blown-up story in the media that at this point, it's like, I don't know if, you know, might, might be getting to him, or if Solskjaer at this point's like, oh, I gotta make another change. So, if they miss the next one, then people are gonna lose their minds. If, yeah. Whoever happens to take the next one has to make it, or this is gonna become a, a huge, huge story. But yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I think Solskjaer's the kind of manager who what he's trying to do is put his trust in in his um, his belief as a manager into a lot of his younger English players. Like we've talked about the theme of types of player that they're signing. And, uh, with that, he kind of makes his bed, right? If those guys don't show up in key moments, then ultimately his fate is tied with them because it doesn't seem like he has, you know, a disciplinarian approach. He's more so, you know, kind of a player's coach for those younger guys. And if they don't come through in key situations then it's going to ultimately fall back on him, which will be very interesting. Um, yeah. and then, and, and then, you know, you look at the, the other win, which is Newcastle winning one nil, uh, against Spurs, Spurs, another Another game where they come out, don't you know, look disorganized, don't look good in the first half. And Mauricio Pochettino had some interesting, interesting remarks after the game. But you know, it's like they played City really well, uh, managed to, to to snatch a point from that, and then you know they easily could have lost to Villa in the opening week because their first half, you know, Villa were equals. They scored three um, goals in the last 20 minutes. And... Right, right. And then, you know, in this game against uh, Newcastle, couldn't break Newcastle down. And Newcastle have been, you know, if they don't, if Newcastle didn't get that win this past weekend, I think Newcastle fans are already calling for Steve Bruce's head. Um, but all of a sudden the narrative now is totally different. So, I don't know. I think Spurs are disappointing me early on. And they seem to just be starting games so slowly and it takes them forever to get into the match and like figure things out. Maybe they need Sun back. Um, who's well, who's I mean, going to come back pretty soon, but he, Sun played this match. He started, he played and yeah, right. that wasn't the difference. I was, I was expecting it to make a big difference. I had them winning four nil in our predictor picks last week. Like, Jeez. I mean, well, you know, me and you have talked about how little we think of Newcastle at this point. They're playing away. That's one of those matches where you think, oh, yep, you know what, these guys are going to pack it in and maybe try to go for a nil-nil draw or maybe scrape away a goal and get a 1-1 draw if anything. And I was shocked that, uh, you know, you got a pretty loaded lineup for Spurs. They're not really missing anybody at this point, and they can't even get a point at home to Newcastle. So I think that is a cause for alarm there. I don't know if the Christian Eriksen thing is distracting them. Uh, Kane isn't getting a ton of service. You know, the only guy that they're really missing now that Sun's back is Deli Ali. I guess maybe you got, you got to give Sun a little bit of time uh, to to pick things up here. But I, I think, think that is a, a bit of, yeah. I think that I think the coming into this weekend, they there's obviously the big North London derby of uh, Arsenal against uh, Spurs. It's gonna be it's a big one for Spurs. Really is early on in the season. Um, it was it was one that last week I would have said, oh man, what a matchup we're looking forward to. After Spurs just came away with the draw against City. Arsenal won their first two matches, and now you see Spurs flop at home in a 1-0 loss to Newcastle, and Arsenal just got 
uh, just eviscerated by Liverpool, and I'm like, oh, you know what? Neither of these teams look very good. I don't really care as much about this game as I thought I was going to. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting, and, and like it's kind of the same thing with Manchester United. We are, I mean, good reminder, I guess we are still still in into the season. We're only three weeks in. It is early, so. Um, but on that note, since we're gonna just cast ridiculous judgments uh, over the rest of the season off of three weeks, um, who's your biggest impressor so far? Who have you been most impressed with from a player perspective in the Premier League so far? Yeah, good question. Uh, we're going to do a couple of different players here, some some three-week awards, basically. But, yeah, the, the person that's impressed me the most so far, I think, is probably a pretty obvious answer for most people. But it's Timo Pukki from Norwich. Um, a couple of just, like, little quick hits about Timo Pukki. If people didn't know this, he actually led the championship in goals last season for Norwich. He scored 29 goals in the championship last year. He had get, been signed on a free transfer that summer to Norwich. He'd been playing uh, in Finland, where he's from. He had been kind of a flop at some other places. He got Celtic um, for a couple of years, kept getting loaned out, never really got it together, uh, signed on a free transfer to Norwich, and then led the, the championship in goals. He now has five goals this season, scored a hat-trick in match week two, and then comes out against Chelsea and gets a goal and an assist. I mean, he's like 29 years old. He's bald he doesn't really look that athletic he wears number 22 just not someone that you'd really expect to um be like as lethal as he is and he scored some great goals uh norwich it's it's disappointing for them uh their man manager daniel fark has made some comments about how like he's not here for good looking performances he's here to pick up points and results and you know that they, they got to be disappointed to only have three points through their first three matches um it's tough they've played Norwich and or they've played excuse me Chelsea and Liverpool and uh, those are two of their you know losses but Pukki has been absolutely electric I know he's been like the most transferred player in in fantasy football uh, so far and rightfully so he just keeps delivering week after week so I'm excited to see him the rest of the season but I think he's just been um, a revelation to the league so far. Yeah, it's funny. He kind of reminds me of Glenn Murray a few years ago when Glenn Murray came up with Palace. Um, kind of that similar, like scored a bucket, you know, a bucket load of goals in the championship, but similar, like doesn't look insanely athletic, doesn't have that like dynamo, you know, bit of pace about him or height or anything like that. I actually remember when Timu Puki was a lot younger when he went to Celtic, he was kind of highly rated as like this young up and coming prospect and just, yeah, never panned out. Um, I remember he came up through the Finland national team. This is like, you know, uh, seven, eight years ago. Um, I remember the name when he was probably in his, maybe a little less than that, maybe he was in his early 20s. Um, and then, you know, all of a sudden he pops up again, signed on a free, and then turns out, you know, just, he's got, what, five goals through three games now? Yep, and he um, scored in every one of them, so. There you go. Um, I've been really impressed with uh, Ashley Barnes uh, over at Burnley. It's not often. We, we actually, we're pretty negative. We're pretty anti-Burnley. Shout out Liam Crooks. We're pretty anti-Burnley when it comes to the pod um, because of their brand of football and you know how they you know their best players always Ben me and Tarkovsky their center backs and you know they they don't go further than 10 miles away from the stadium to sign a player they um, Ashley Barnes has four goals through three games um, correct and he scored a, a an absolute belter this past weekend um, against Wolves, and they Wolves and they would have beaten Wolves um, had uh, it not been for a, a late penalty. Eric Peters conceded on um, Eric Peters is at, he's rubbish, but he conceded a penalty on Raúl Jiménez, and 
it was a really, really good goal from Ashley Barnes. He took it down on the half volley, smacked it into the bottom corner from outside the box. And it wasn't one of those kind of like, you know, they hoof it to Chris Wood, knock it out in the box, and he's kind of scrapping for some goals. And I don't know. I think, like, he could quietly have a 15-20 goal season. And you can tell he's he's starting to have a bit of confidence. I know, and I, we keep, we've talked about this a few times, uh, this, the ball he got to score against uh, Wolves this past weekend was from Dwight McNeil. And so I think actually because of some of the quality of service has improved a little bit, Ashley Barnes you're seeing kind of pick up points from that uh, or pick up some goals and chances from some of those surrounding players like Dwight McNeil, most notably, um, who's just coming to the team and become a first-team regular at, at Burnley um, from our podcast yeah, season. I, I don't know if we should be as surprised by Ashley Barnes as we are. He was their number 10 last year. He's, he's won the number 10 kit the last two years. Uh, Burnley are just not a team that you think about like really impressive individual performers very often. He was good last year, but he's come out the gates uh, really, really hot. Like, not not like anyone would have expected right now. Uh, shout out to your mom actually, or mum, sorry, Jane. She captained him in fantasy uh, Premier League this week against Lockman, and <laughs> Lockman was uh, shitting himself on uh, Sunday morning just mm-hmm. watching Ashley Barnes score. So I mean. He, He's like, he's someone that we, I guess, at this point should have some more respect for. But yeah, um, I wouldn't expect it to continue at this pace. But he's definitely going to be a pretty big performer for them this year. Yeah, it's, um, that's that that's like a nightmare Sunday Sunday right there. Waking up just hoping Ashley Barnes doesn't score because it's just one of those you know you know he's going to one of those guys who right just it's just bound to, to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so inversely to biggest impressor, who's had the slowest start for you individually? Who have you kind of? You haven't gotten, you know, you haven't seen the hype come to fruition three games in. I hate to bring this up only because if anyone watches the Premier League on NBC like we do, you've probably seen this name 3,000 times already in the past three weeks. Uh, I know we've talked about how ridiculous the, the coverage has been and how out of proportion it's been to like anything else we've ever seen on NBC. But Christian Pulisic has got off to a really slow start. Uh, he didn't start the first week against United, but he has the last two matches. And uh, if anyone's watched him play for the U.S. national team or watched him play at Dortmund, I mean, he's he's very good on the ball. He's very pacey. He's good off the ball, too, but he's just he's quick. He's agile. He makes really dangerous runs. He's a good, sco- uh, good scorer, good finisher. He's someone that, for a young Chelsea team right now, should be a pretty key player for them. And unfortunately, he... He's just gotten off to a really, really slow start. Um, he's been kind of overshadowed by some other players, too. And, and overall, Chelsea are just not um, not looking super impressive thus far. I will say they, they had a pretty good-looking performance against Norwich, but it was a 3-2 win. Uh, but the attack was a lot better. But Pulisic really wasn't part of it. And so uh, I hope that the pressure's not getting to him. There's just a lot of, uh, a lot of eyeballs on him at this point, whether it's Americans or... Um, you know, just because he had a, a really big transfer fee and he was really the only big player to come into Chelsea this year with their transfer ban. But a lot of fingers being pointed at him at this, thing, at this point, I think. I think they just need to give him a little bit more time, uh, have some faith in him. But it's definitely been a disappointing start from him thus far. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things, unfortunately, I kind of think he's he's set up to, to not really succeed. Like, um, it's a competitive young team like Chelsea and, and Frank Lampard obviously wasn't the manager when you know he was signed and he it's his 
has been hyped, hyped over, coming over for a while. There's so much TV coverage. Um, there's a Pulisic countdown on NBC we've talked about. It's, it's too much. And, like, there's a hint of the Freddie Aduness about all this, you know? Like, there's a hint of, like, the people looking for that American messiah from American soccer. And it's, like, I don't – I don't know. I, I just wish that – Everyone would Ooh. chill, chill, and like be eager. Just like allow him to come to, allow him to find his own performances, right? Allow him to develop yeah. that relationship with some of those players. I don't, but I don't know. I don't know if people are gonna like you comparing Pulisic to Freddie Adu at this point. I mean, that's, like it, 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 it's, it's <laughs> harsh, tough. and and it's harsh. And do I think Pulisic is a way better player? Of course, but like. There's a there's a there's a similar reaction to that. Like people are like expecting him to be like LeBron. You know, it's like we get so used to these mega athletes, and like he, I don't know if he's ever gonna be that. I really don't. I really don't. <laughs> it's I'm not I'm not saying this is you, but like bringing up Freddie Adu as an American soccer fan is just like the easiest thing to do on earth. It's like any person who like has never watched a match, like that's the one guy they know is Freddie Adu. Right. Oh man, let's let's hope it doesn't get to that. But yeah. Anyway, who uh, for you? Who have you seen come out the gates slow here? I said, uh, I've said Gates like five times already. i got to stop yeah. doing that. So anyway, coming out of the Gates, I've seen Gerard Delefeu, <laughs> um struggle for Watford. So Watford are the, the only team in the league who have only scored one goal, and they haven't picked up a point yet. Everyone else um, is at least three. Yes. Uh, three goals or points? Three points. Yes, yes, yes. Um, now, Javi Gracia, I've said, I think he's going to be the first manager sack this season. Interesting. Watford have lined up diff- with, different, with a different tactical formation in every game they've played. Um, so clearly there's no you know, continuity or, or traditional brand of football that they want to play, like no identity where they're trying to just kind of like mix and match and you know, the tinker man, you know, Javi Gracia, um, trying to come up with a new lineup each week. He's sometimes playing with two strikers. So, so he played a, they played a 4-2-3-1 this past weekend. Um, they tried to pair Andre Gray and Troy Deeney up top. Um, and and you can you just kind of like a sense of like general lack of attacking talent. They signed Saar, uh, who hasn't, Got into the game yet? hasn't hasn't made an impression yet at Watford. Um, but Gerard Delafeu, the reason why I'm talking about Watford is because he, uh, they managed to have a good season last season, and a lot of it came from the creative play of Delafeu. Um, he he had a lot of assists. He had a lot a lot of goals. Don't have the numbers on him, but I know that everything that they had going forward was coming through him or Roberto Pereira. Um, Pereira struggled, and so was Delafeu early on, and so there's like a very big lack of creative. You know, offensive intelligence. They have two stalwarts in central midfield of uh, Ducure and Capu, um, and then seem to have like pr- uh, you know some athletes up top like uh, Andre Gray is obviously very pacey, and Troy Deeney can you know uh, head in a, f- uh, a few goals and is club captain. Meat had Troy Deeney. Yeah, I'm not a, you know I'm not a massive fan, but like there's clearly a gap there between uh, up top and, and central midfield, uh, whether it's out wide or you know central attacking midfielders. I mean, for God's sakes, Tom Cleverly played like central attacking midfield this past weekend for them. That's how desperate they are for a player like that. Um, and, it, and it was Delafeu last season who strung together a couple really, really strong performances, and him and Pereira. And Delafeu's, I think he's averaging like a, I don't know, like a five point two on FOTMOB or something like that. He's, he's just really, really, really struggled. Yeah, he um, he was really like the the leader in the last few matches they had to get to the FA Cup final. I remember he got subbed on in like the 60th minute and scored a hat trick in one of those matches. Yeah. So I mean, he has the ability to go off, and everyone's kind of known that he like got sold to, or went to Barcelona for a bit and back, and like everyone's he's one of those guys that everyone recognizes the talent, but doesn't always put together. So we'll right. see. I, I still think that Watford, in terms of their squad, they have enough talent to, to stay up, but it's been a pretty miserable start for them. 
Yeah. Um, last mm-hmm. thing we wanted to get to here, as far as these like little player blurbs or awards, is the best new arrival. Um, so just a player that's been uh, uh, like new to their team this year that's really kicked off to start. Mine is kind of cheating, but not really. I'm going to go with Mason Mount from Chelsea. Um, he has been a Chelsea player, was in the academy, but last season played at Derby, also under Frank Lampard. And he's gotten his first real, like senior uh, team opportunities this year. He has picked up a bigger role than I think most people expected him to. Obviously, Frank Lampard really... Uh, saw a lot in him at Derby last season because he's come up, he's played uh, like a central attacking midfield role. He's also been moved out wide here and there depending on the personnel they have available to them. I know uh, this past weekend, uh, originally they were going to be starting Pedro and, and Mount was going to be in the middle, but Pedro got hurt in warm-ups. So they brought on Russ Barkley and Mount went out wide and he, uh, he's he been great. I mean, he, he scored this past weekend. He has probably been their most promising player you look at these new guys that they're trotting out there these young players it's been mount it's been tammy abraham who struggled to start but had two goals this weekend and it's been uh christian pulisic and, and mount's probably been the best of the three uh he had almost flew under the radar a little bit but now you look at him as a guy who's probably going to be looking at getting an england call up here he's like I feel like he's playing a similar role for Chelsea that like a Jesse Lingard plays for United and Mason Mount looks leaps and bounds better than Jesse Lingard does. So if you're an England fan, uh, he's someone to be excited about. But I've been really impressed by him so far. Yeah, quick note on Jesse Lingard. We saw that stat on Twitter. I think we just shout out Twitter sphere real quick. We saw a stat on Twitter that in the last six seasons, Adam Johnson has more Premier League assists than Jesse Lingard. And Adam Johnson has spent three of the last six seasons in jail. See, okay, I did see that, and I I looked into it a little bit more. Like what? That's insane, dude! Like that, that's literally insane. Well, especially since Adam Johnson's like not even good, but um, the and thing the is, fact like, that he's in jail. Right, but Lingard's only really been playing for the last three years, so it's kind of like three three years on three years. But I mean, it's a, it's a fun stat to use because you get to talk about this dude um, who hasn't been with a club for three of the last years, but, like, it's not totally fair to Lingard because he hasn't been getting regular appearances for more I mean, than, like, Lingard's three of those what, years. Like, Lingard's, what, like, 27? Like 26, I think. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's not like he hasn't had any opportunity to. Like, he could just be better, but, um, yeah, anyway, I go, mean... It, go, going back to Mount, though, pivoting back to Mount, like my... Uh, my <laughs> true, my, yeah, that's yeah, what we're we, talking we, about. Yeah, we got away, away from Lingard. Going back to Mount... Um, yeah, you're right. He definitely is the the young player who's coming and made the biggest impression. Does he have a bit of advantage because he worked with Frank Lampard last season? Probably. Um, but if, I mean, if you're a Chelsea fan, you've got to be thrilled about that. Um, and uh, on the, you know, kind of the inverse, you, you've got two Chelsea players again. Your your love for Chelsea with uh, the two two mentions you have there. Well, one um, of them I said negatively, so it's fine. Yeah. yeah well. Um, all right. So best new arrival in the in the Premier League. I actually took this as not quite like a new new to their team. I took this more as like new. Play- player into the Premier League um, and both 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 kind of applies actually similarly came from Derby last season as well um, I have Harry Wilson at Bournemouth Harry Wilson scored an absolute belter for Bournemouth um, against Manchester City it wasn't enough they still lost 3-1 and they scored against Villa the week before um, this guy gets goals from midfield and I, I think he's the kind of player who you know we saw David Brooks have a pretty good season for um, for Bournemouth last season uh, and Bournemouth right now aren't getting 
goals or assists from Ryan Frazier or Callum Wilson, but instead they're getting him from Harry Wilson. And he's got a really, really clean strike. That I mean, if you watch that that free kick goal from the weekend, and he scores it from way out, and it is, I mean, it's classy. Um, so I've been really impressed with him. Also his movement off the ball. He drew. He was kind of. A, he was a big time headache when they played Villas because he didn't just score, but he drew a lot of a lot of fouls in the offensive third. So um, I've been impressed by him early on as well. Yeah, two young players that we we expect to get a lot of time this season and really make an impact. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention before we get to trivia, we'll just hit this quick. Um, there's a story that's been developing, and people have probably kind of picked up on this in their own, but it's really related to the the transfer window deadline in the Premier League. And so for those who don't know, there might be newer fans in the past year or so, traditionally the Premier League transfer window deadline had been right around like September 1st, sometimes September 2nd, or kind of later, right around like that, that weekend. Um which lined up with the rest of Europe. In 2017, they took a vote uh, to change the deadline, and it passed with 14 clubs supporting it. Uh, basically, I think there were, there were five teams that didn't, and Burnley abstained. And the teams that didn't, it was like Manchester City, Manchester United, Crystal Palace. Um, there was one or two other ones as well. But regardless, so what's happened is because uh, the transfer deadline has moved up, and is now actually uh, 24 hours before the first match of the season. There's been a lot of uh, like transfer speculation of players leaving the Premier League to go to other teams in Europe. You look right now, there's uh, Wilfred Zaha is being linked with teams like PSG. Christian Eriksen in the last year of his contract is being linked with Real Madrid. Uh, I just saw Fred being linked with a move away from Manchester United. So there's still this distraction of players leaving Potentially, and you can't bring anyone in. Uh, so a lot of these managers in the Premier League, particularly uh, Pochettino and Jurgen Klopp, have come out and said that this is a problem, this is a disadvantage for our teams. We're playing in Europa League and Champions League, and they need to fix it. They're having a meeting, I think it's on September 12th, where this can come back up. They need 11 votes to pass a change back. So it was something that came up when uh, you know two years ago in 2017 that we were a little bit iffy on. Um, we, we liked some aspects of it, we disliked some things, and now there's a really good chance it's going to actually flip back uh, right away. What do you think about this, Jack? Anything to take away? Yeah, I think um, I think it's being made to be more, a bigger deal than it is. Um, I think that the, the, you know, the managers who are conveniently talking about it, Pochettino, who just lost 1-0 to Newcastle, all of a sudden is talking about it in his press conference. Um, and Jurgen Klopp, who likes to complain about the wind, is talking about it as well. I think, yeah, like, sure. Is it, and is it a difficult thing to, to, for managers to deal with, uh, clubs to deal with? Uh, yes, they, you know, they could, in theory, sell a player and not be able to sign someone back. Um, sure, but, like, you know that. Before the season starts, you know that all summer long. And so what it's forcing teams to do is, quite frankly, plan a little bit better and get their business done ahead of time. And so I struggle to have a lot of, like, sympathy for teams that want to, you know, say, like, oh, it's a disadvantage. I I think they're saying it's a disadvantage, but in reality, um, that's that's probably a reflection of teams that don't feel as confident or as organized with the business that that, that they've done early on. Um, Or they have a couple players who are generally unsettled, like a Christian Eriksen, um, or if you're... Liverpool, right? If you if if you don't, you know, bring home a title really soon, you're going to start to see players maybe leave that team. So, I don't know. I I, I think it's kind of silly, and that, to to also say that it, it it affects 
you know, our performance in Europe, like, okay, well, look at the look at the Champions League final four, you know, the top four last season, you know, three English teams. So it's like, um, clearly, it's not it's not it's not hampering um, English teams' pro- progression in Europe. So, um, yeah, I I don't think I, I think it's something that's being dramatized. It's another th- thing that they can complain about. Um, and you know, they made a rule uh, adjustment because. Back in the day, if you flash back, like teams were making these monster signings a week or two into the season, they were kind of testing their team out um, a week or two in, and be like, "Oh shit, we need a goal scorer." So they go spend, you know, seventy, eighty million on a goal scorer, um, you know, to come into your team three weeks after the season, and like you do that with the with a, and that creates a big advantage for some of the top teams. So, and those are a lot of the teams that, uh, that voted against the rule change. So. Yeah, I'm, I like I like the rule actually. I like I like that they have to, to plan for it ahead of the ahead of the season, and I don't have a lot of sympathy for the teams or the managers who feel like it's a di- big disadvantage because I don't think it is, and you can see that in the performances from Champions League last season. Yeah, I think last season you're right. I mean, the English teams performed better than they normally do, but um, I like the idea in theory. But I like it more if the other leagues uh, also adjust to that. Fair, fair. Um, I think I, I kind of see it both ways. I, I understand why it'd be frustrating uh, to not be able to make moves when, you know, the likes of Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, PSG, all these teams can kind of come and unsettle your players a little bit and you can't do anything to, to really do much about it. So I get it, but um, I think it's something that we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks here and I would not be surprised at all if it got changed back. So we'll see. Um, we're getting a little bit up here on time, so let's dive into trivia. I will be grilling you this week, and I think I have something pretty good. It's pretty timely as well, but it's also something that's a little bit more historical for the Premier League. Um, Now, I'm going to give you two minutes this time, because that's what you gave me last week, I think. And I think it's fair, because there are some tricky answers on here. But there are 12 names. I want you to get as many as possible. And these 12 names are the Premier League players that it took the fewest games to reach 50 assists in, 50 Premier League assists. All these players did it in 200 or less appearances. So keep in mind, it's Premier League players, so they're all, you know, since like 1992 and on. Um, and there are 12 names here. They got 50 assists in 200 appearances or less. So I'm going to start the timer here and rattle off as many as you can. Three, two, one. Kevin De Bruyne just hit it. Uh, David Silva, uh, Cesc Fabregas, um, Arsenal's gonna gotta be an invincible play. Oh, uh, Bergkamp, um, Henri, um, Ryan Giggs. Shit. Um, Hazard. Um, Rooney. Jeez. Yeah, I hit a wall there after. Um, there's gotta be some Manchester United players. Out, uh, uh, Ronaldo. No. Um, Erickson, Christian Erickson. Dali Allen. Uh, no. Um. There's got to be a Spurs player in there, though, no? Um, Paul Scholes. Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, Wayne Rooney, Dimitar Berbatov. Um, 
Van Persie. Um, not uh, Freddie Jumberg. That's a bad guess. Oh, Ozil. Um, uh, Manchester United. There's got to be a United player in there. Chelsea. Um, Lampard. Gerard. Uh, um, Tevez. Um, Nani. Nani. Um, so yeah, ex I actually muted myself there during the trivia that right after I said 3-2-1. So, um, my bad, but I was giving Jack some hints there, despite, man, that would have been really cold if I was just silent for two minutes. Um, yeah, we're trying to improve, Jack we're trying to improve the audio quality here, just so you know, just goes to show, well, just goes to show, just so you know, listeners, um, we're trying to get better on, on audio. This is the first blip we have. Right. Cut some slack. But it's... Unfortunately, you can't really re-record the trivia because now he knows the answers that we got right. So it's a little bit tricky. Um, unfortunately for the audience, you probably don't know the ones he got right because I was saying yes to six of those. He got six out of 12 right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go in order from the quickest uh, to the least quick, so the fewest appearances. So you got off to a great start. Uh, the first one you got was Kevin De Bruyne, and he set that this weekend, 50th assist and the fewest appearances ever. The person whose record he broke, you got right as well, Mesut Ozil. The third quickest, you did not get right. Um, now, I was trying to give you, give you down a little bit of a path here uh, to get at least some of the teams right. You were saying it for a second you thought maybe a Spurs player. There was no Spurs player. Um, there were two United players. What? And, um, uh, that you missed. Actually, three United players that you missed. Get out. Oh, um, uh, what's and, his name? Um... Uh, Eric Cantona. Yep, he God. was the third quickest. The third, he was the third quickest. Yep. Now the fourth quickest you got Dennis Bergkamp. The fifth quickest you got Cesc Fabregas. The sixth quickest you got David Silva. The seventh quickest was another United player that you did not get. I feel like I said everyone from United. I said everyone from. I mean, this one's a pretty like this is someone that like if if you've never watched a soccer match ever, you know this guy's name. I, but I said Rooney and Ronaldo, and I said Tevez, and I said – I mean, I even went to like there's – a, There's a movie named after this guy. There's a movie named after this guy? What? Yeah. I'm thinking like Gold, The Dream Begins. Who is it? David Beckham. Oh, no. <laughs> God Pretty rough. damn it. Okay. Pretty rough. Sorry. Pretty Sorry, rough. Bex. Yeah, um, the next quickest you got Thierry Henry, and then nine through twelve you didn't get any of these guys. Yeah. So you did pretty well at the top, um, but these guys were all still under two hundred appearances. Uh, this one you were never going to get, I don't think. It was Nolberto Solano. Nobby Solano played for, played for Villa as yeah. well. Yeah, so he was uh, the next quickest. After that was someone you know well. You actually watched play this weekend. You got. Absolutely diced by Wilfred Zaha. Ashley Young, what a guy. Yep. Uh, the next one is a former Premier League pundit and manager, I believe. Um, you know him, but I wouldn't have expected you to get him. I'm trying to think of who he played for the most. Former um, Premier League pundit? He played for Liverpool, I think was the, the club he played for the most. He also played for Man City, I believe. Wow. Real Madrid. Michael Owen? 
No, Steve McManaman. Steve McManaman. Yeah, I would not have guessed Steve McManaman. I was gonna say Yossi. No. I was gonna say Yossi Benayoun real quick. <laughs> and then the last one uh, who got it, and I think it was 198 uh, appearances, is a Chelsea legend. But most people think of him as a goal scorer, not an assister. Drogba. Yeah. Wow. So six out of twelve, not bad. It was a tricky one. I thought it was pretty timely with the De Bruyne news. Yeah. Shout out to Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah. Uh, but you did pretty well. You have to a, a rip roar and start. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, the, like, but, it, it's the, the the nine through twelves. I should have gotten Vex, um, but I was just thinking like I mean you think about some of the era, some of those teams like that those Arsenal teams and some of those uh, like everyone the more recent ones I got right so like Sask, David Silva, De Bruyne. I got Mezu eventually. I think the people are going to listen to that two-minute clip, and they're going to realize what this podcast would sound like if it was just one of us. It's just going to be like you're talking at a wall. <laughs> um, so hopefully it's not too bad, but I think it'll be worth it for the rest of the which audio. Is, but anyway. which, is what it, which is what actually I do when I'm in my apartment right now. I'm literally just talking. To, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, that's true. All right, let's, <laughs> let's get into, let's get into uh, results predictor. Um, predictor app, uh, I think. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, quick shout-out to the predictor. Um, we're actually going to reach out to the Boom Fantasy guys because for some reason in our group, it's not showing the season-long standings. We're going to try to fix that. Uh, but shout-out to Paul Byrne and Colin Wolf. They both got 18 points this week. So it was a really tricky week. Most people did not do very well, but they were tied for first in our, our league here uh, for match week three. Yeah, no one won the 50K this week on NBC because the games were just ridiculous. Like we said, seven, seven OA teams got victories. So um, we, got, we, got our, we got our picks in for this week. Um, There's actually some differences and some similarities in our picks. But first game, Man City-Brighton. Um, I'm going full trounce. I'm going 4-0. And I look for Man City to actually keep a, a clean sheet. For once, even though Ederson is so bad, but they, they can't keep clean sheet. Yeah, I picked Man City to win 3-0 last week against Bournemouth. I'm going to pick the same thing this week against Brighton. I agree. Uh, they've been scoring goals, which is great. They've looked really, really good. They're, you know, it's them in Liverpool again this season at the top. But um, I think they're finally going to need a clean sheet here. I'm going 3-0 again. So similar to you. Yep. Uh, next match is West Ham at home to Norwich. These are two teams that came off of... Uh, some goal-scoring weekends. West Ham looked really, really good last week, and we didn't really talk about them. Sebastian Heller with two goals. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, I think very quickly, I think um, Norwich, people are going to start marking Timo Pukki pretty pretty closely. Um, like Issa Diop will be you know, all over him all, all game. I, I think West Ham is actually going to win this one. Um, you saw Sebastian Heller pick up two goals. A little bit of confidence that maybe after last week with West Ham after a, a slower start. And so um, I look, although I think Norwich will be plucky as they tend to be, this is a game where I think the West the class of this West Ham team is, is really going to rise. You know, I think Lanzini will play well. Yarmolenko started this past week. Haller, that front four of Yarmolenko, Lanzini, Felipe Anderson, and Haller, that's a dangerous front four. So I think they'll win 2-0. Yeah, Felipe Anderson finally got it going last week with his first assist of the season. Uh, he's a dangerous player. I, I think this is the trickiest one I had to pick. Uh, I'm going to go with Norwich 2-1, only because I've watched them play a few times now, and I've been impressed with them each week. Uh, back to kind of what I said earlier about Daniel Fark, their manager. They're getting good performances, but not the results. I think they're going to get a result this weekend. Uh, but I did love what I saw with West Ham this weekend, too. So both these teams are, are on the rise. And I think this will be a really, really entertaining match of football. 
Uh, I'm going to go 2 1 Norwich, though, getting the away result. Well done. Um, and then we've got uh, Burnley against Liverpool. Um, I've got Liverpool winning 3 1. Um, I think I think Burnley, you know, went, get a goal from a set piece. Um, I think Liverpool will get one early um, and won't look back from there. This one, I'm going to go with a little bit of a shocker. I'm going 2 2. Um, I said it the last couple of weeks when we've been predicting Liverpool, but. I just I'm not that confident with them defensively. I, I I don't see it yet this season like I did last year. Uh, Burnley have been very impressive so far. We've talked about that. Uh, I think this is the first time Liverpool slip up a bit. City have done it against Spurs, and uh, I don't know. I think this is the opportunity uh, for them to gain a little bit of ground. I'm gonna go two-two with a, a home result for Burnley. Right, and then we go to Everton Wolves. Um, uh, Everton Wolves. I've got one-one. Um, I think both of these teams have a couple chances, uh, but they both try and they're both going to try and be the uh, aggressor. They're both going to try and be the team that has more of the ball. Um, and I think you'll see a lot of the game played out in the middle of the park, and it'll be one-one. Yeah, I actually had um, I had nil-nil in this one, and then I was looking and I realized that Wolves have drawn their first three matches, so I figured there's no way in hell they can draw four in a row to start the season. Uh, at that point, it was too late. I didn't know who to pick, so I just went Everton 1-0. <laughs> really tactical. So that's just like a superstition thing. Like, There's just no way they're going to draw four in a row, right? Right. And then we actually have the same pick for this Spurs-Arsenal North, North London derby, just to like reveal uh, reveal this. We both went 2-1. Uh, my logic was Spurs are going to come out pissed off, hopefully have a better start because they've been starting so poorly. Um, and... Arsenal are going to come out a bit angry as well. It'll be a chippy game. I think both teams will have goals, but ultimately, I think, I mean, Spurs have too much quality. Harry Kane gets on the score sheet, um, and uh, they went 2 1. I mean, I feel like you just kind of stole my thunder there. I don't even really get to say my score at this point. <laughs> well, I guess, do you um, have the same logic or what? I guess. I mean, I, this, I'm doing what I did last year with Arsenal. If people listened last year when we did our predictor picks. I would just flip-flop on them every week. I think they're good. I think they're bad. I think they're good, bad. I picked them to beat Liverpool last week like an idiot. So um, now I'm going to pick against them, and they'll probably come out and win like 4-0. But <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's the predictor. You know, it's it's a tough match. Uh, it's a tough little game, and that's why I'm never going to win 50K and be able to retire early. There you go. Um, speaking of which, um, for the predictor app, uh, we do have a league just goes to show. Uh, the league code is M-D-E-Q-L-8. Uh, the league name is just goes to show. Give us a search on the leagues. Use the code. Um, really want to see people who we don't know start popping up in our leagues. That means people listen to this thing. So, be- Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I mean, we, we're not really sure. But um, in addition to that, I know I had mentioned it last week, but we have a new Instagram. It's at just goes to show pod. We'll post some more stuff on there, um, and we'd love to uh, do a mailbag as well, something we've talked about. So I'm going to tweet out something this week where we can try to get some questions from the listeners, and we'll be able to maybe block off some time next week if there's not too much to talk to cover. We're also going to have an international break coming up, so maybe we'll do it over that week. But we're going to do a little mailbag, so if you have anything that you've been dying to ask Jack and I, uh, being celebrities and all, being uh, you know like pioneers of the English uh, American <laughs> soccer punditry podcast world. Uh, fire away. You know, we'd love to answer anything and we'd love talking about ourselves too. So feel free to get personal. All right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's it. That's all we got here on the late night epi. Uh, hopefully sound quality is better for all y'all. Uh, appreciate y'all listening. Just goes to show. Everybody's human. Have a great weekend guys. Bye.